everybody. Welcome to Men's Inheritance here at Jubilee Church. We are here to worship the Lord and to, to uh, uh, fellowship with one another. And uh, so let's, let's just pray and ask the Lord for his blessing this morning. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you, Lord, that we can come together and, and be strengthened by you, Lord, and strengthen one another. Lord, we just submit ourselves before you. We ask you, Lord God, for your grace and your mercy in our lives today. We look to you, Lord God. We lift our eyes to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. sing the splendor of the king the splendor of the king clothed in majesty let all the earth rejoice let all the earth rejoice he wraps himself in light darkness tries it trembles at his voice, it trembles at his voice. How great is our God, well sing with me, how great is our God, and all will see how great, how great is our God. You know, worship is a choice, a choice that we make, and sometimes when we don't feel like it, we need to tell ourselves that we need to engage, and when you engage with the Lord, then you will find the benefit of His presence in your life, and there's nothing better than the presence of the Lord in your life. So let's sing that again. The splendor of the King, clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice, let all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light. Darkness tries to hide. It trembles at his voice. It trembles at his voice. How great is our God. Well, sing with me. How great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. Time is in his hand, beginning and the end. 
is our God. Well, say with me how great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. You're the name above all names. Worthy of all
Hallelujah. There's healing here for those who need healing. Just reach out and receive it from the Lord. Hallelujah. There's healing for your body and healing for your soul. In the presence of the Lord, there's healing, there's deliverance. In the presence of the Lord. He said he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from all their destructions. And we've been singing the word this morning. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive honor and riches. right now you guys oh shakala basala totolo sitaj hallelujah lord have your own way lord god have your way with us lord we submit our hearts to you this morning, Lord God. Oh, shalabasi kitienda la sotor. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Lord. Sheba la sotor. You're the name above all names. You were. My heart will say, how great is our God. You're the name above all names. Worthy of all praise. My heart will say, how great is our God because you are good you are good and your love endures you are good you are good and your love endures you are good you are good and your love Shalato, Jela, Masoke, Shela, 
Confess our sins, Lord. Forgive us for the lust of our eyes. Forgive us for the lust of our flesh. Forgive us for the pride of our life. Forgive us for our unbelief, Lord. Jesus. ourselves before you God have your way Lord have your way Lord Thank you, Wes. That was super powerful. Let's take a moment, greet one another, welcome each other, men, and uh, I'll say hi to you guys online. It's good to be together. This is Men's Inheritance, and all the ladies watching, bless you too. We've got a, a double portion week we're in and a double portion weekend, so this is a good day because, you know, as they said about Jesus, Friday came and it was a really sad day, but Sunday followed, and resurrection life. So resurrection life, we're about on that crest, breaking into whatever and wherever death has tried to take and possess, and where we've been out of sync with God's purpose, and revelation gets the flow, peace comes, healing comes, and the double portion, and the grace that comes with that in Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, come on, get get a seat. We we are going to. We've got about about an hour to be together. I want to have some room for testimony, and if you have any questions about the Book of Job, I thought to myself, thought, Lord, Job is kind of a strange book that you put the focus emphasis on, because it's not a. It's usually the book everybody avoids. That in Leviticus. But it's also quite, you know, treacherous reading if you don't grasp what, where God is on it and who's speaking and why they're speaking from where they're speaking. And so, you know, 29, what is it? First 
three chapters is Job and what's happening to him. Then from 20, the fourth chapter to the 31st chapter is, so it's at 27 chapters, is just an argument. I don't know. I'm sure everyone here has felt like you've been in one of those kind of arguments before. It's like, and then God, Elihu, God speaks for the next 10 chapters and Job repents and then everything shifts and the double comes. So any, so before we get in, I've got lots of little things to share for us, but I want to hear from any of, any of the men here that you're carrying a, a testimony or you've got a question about Job that would just, because if you've got a question, I'm sure someone else does the same question. So I've got a microphone, just need you to come up and we I'll give room at the end if, if you can think about it. Okay, let me let me share then I believe this Saturday and tomorrow will be a really important day. So please plan on being here for the double portion, double weekend. I just believe tomorrow there our being together is like how God often moves the next season is he uses the group of men that he separates and the agreement comes into the resurrection of Jesus and then that opens the door for it to spread so I think our being together and I don't know if you in reading today's Bible reading we had Isaiah 40 Isaiah 40 is like another picture of this whole transformation takes place with Job once the Lord really starts to command him to listen and answer him from the words he's being, that are being spoken to him. And chapter um, 42 is when Job answers and basically says, I'm, I am the one who is hiding counsel without words of, without knowledge. And, but I've only before heard of you by my ear, but now I see you with my face and I, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. So Job comes out of this testing once the pride in his heart is seen that he was assuming himself more than how God saw him and bringing God down and bringing himself up. When, whenever, whenever we're in a test, we need to get God higher and us lower. So once that happened, then life really shifted. So two things. I, if I take you to, uh, let's go to um, Acts chapter 2, 22. Just make sure it's Acts 20. Paul speaks to the Ephesian elders just prior to his on his way into Jerusalem. And um, he knows he's uh, going to see them never again. And he's trying to exhort them. And I'm, chapter 22, verse 28. Chapter, Acts 22, chapter, verse 28. So he's speaking to the Ephesian elders, and I believe, I felt really strong. A lot of times we want something to happen that we don't know how it's going to happen, or we'd like it just to happen without us knowing what made it happen. But in the raising up of sons, God's wanting to partner or let us learn his ways, and his ways are in his word. We call ourselves men of inheritance. Inheritance our inheritance is in Christ, and God's inheritance is us in Christ. So everything is 
moving into Christ. There's no other, there's no other place of we're all being summed up. It's all we are. We have an inheritance in Christ, and Ephesians one says that we're to get the eyes of our understanding to know what is the riches of the glory of His Father's inheritance in us, the saints. So it's a double double work. So. Um, Sorry, I was wrong. Chapter 20. I looked at my Bible. I don't know how. And it's 28. Chapter 20, 28. So, one more time. I know I saw somebody looking up at the screen going, what, are you, what is that? Therefore, I did So, Paul says this. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. This has always been and will be a shepherd's duty is trying to keep the wolves out from within. And Jesus said, you'll know the wolves, not by what they wear, but by the fruit they produce. But he goes on and he says, for also among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. The one first thing that will take us out of our, our fullness of where we're headed is following somebody else who's taking us after them, meaning that their, their interpretation, their brand, their belief, their practice, we have to start adhering to instead of everything should be taking us to Jesus. If it's not Jesus, then you're, we're missing the mark. We didn't get to the outcome or we're, we're going off on a tangent that will lead us further and further from the Christ and the provision. Everything is done in Jesus, was done to Jesus, and out. And Jesus was the first resurrected man. Now we're following into conformity, so it's all of this. So he says, therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, and here's the verse, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So God and the word of his grace. The word is, is, is so important. I, I can't ever emphasize how important it is for us to stay inside the word. And, and while we're going through the whole Bible this year, make it a just always start up again like today Isaiah 40 if you read it it just sounds like Isaiah Job 40 and 41 when God just takes uh, I, Job out of his pride and out of his thinking that he has some place that he could contend with the Almighty instead of submit to the Almighty and there's such subtleties you don't know you're, where you are until God gives you the grace to see where you are and so the word of God is the one thing I know more than even the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit wants to convict us of our unbelief, which is that we don't believe in Jesus. So we have to let the word kind of speak into our life. So I'm going to take us to Paul in chapter 26. He's, he's, um, he repeats the calling of his life when he met the Lord on the road to Damascus. And um, verse 14, he was, he was going crazy. He was trying to kill Christians. Um, and it says at verse 13, chapter 26, verse 13, At midday, O King Agrippa, 
Along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun shining around me, pulsating in and through me is what it really means in the shining idea, those who journeyed with me. And when I all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goats. And I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness of the things which you have seen and of the things which I have yet to reveal to you. The word minister is an under oarsman. So if you think of, we, we are learning to paddle with Jesus, like being yoked to Jesus, and a, a witness is to give you know, testimony of what we have seen and heard of Jesus. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That's just the life journey we're walking through, little by little, sometimes huge leaps, and we could make great strides. Other times we're just abiding in the truth, knowing the truth, the truth making us free, and when it doesn't bring us into freedom, it brings us into an offense, and eventually we have to meet Jesus and work this offense out, and then we come into a new place. You will receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So we talk about how do, you, how, how do we participate with the Lord in the midst of loss so that God can bring us into the gain he ordained. The first thing is to, I, I believe, is to always remember that our inheritance is in Christ in heaven and reserved and cannot fade away and be taken away. And it isn't even something we earn through life's obedience. It's inside of Christ and inside his word. And so all of us are returning to his word every day, returning back to the truth of the word and what God's saying. And we can lose what we've heard, we can drift away, we can wander off on tangents, we can get hurt and offended, we can get lazy. All of the things that we can do that it doesn't take away the inheritance, it just removes us from the enjoyment of it. We're not in participation. And ultimately, by the time an inheritance breaks into the earth and seen by man and experienced by others, we've come to a journey where we've lost our own resource, our own ability, our own self-confidence, and we've now shifted like Abraham. I'm not looking at what I don't have. I'm just going to look at the one who has it all, and what he says he can perform, so I'm going to glorify him and become persuaded that what he promised he can perform. So that is what Paul was speaking of. He says, therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. So Paul is recounting something that happened 20, 25 years earlier. It's still the foundation. So one thing today, what is it that God has said to you in your early journey with Jesus? What were the first words he spoke? What were the first inklings? What were the scriptures that first came alive? They're always, some of the first things we hear are, it is, is the essence of God's release of everything. Salvation, our calling, our inheritance, and letting the Holy Spirit 
bring those to our remembrance. That's what he's so powerful. It's this, he's the one who wields the sword. And that's why the word of God is the sword of the spirit. And a lot of times we can, you know, not give him a very big sword. Because it's got to be things that come up to our remembrance. Something we've already heard Jesus say. But he's, that's one thing he's really doing right now. So three things that I meditated on this week that Job did and Jesus taught us to do. He taught first with the unjust steward. He had a lucrative job with a great position, but he was wasting his employer's wealth. And so his employer called him to task and said, you're out of the job. Give me an account of what, what, where we are. You can no longer hold this position. He looked at himself and he said, I don't know what I'm going to do because I'm too old to do this and I'm too, I don't want to, I'm ashamed to go beg. I know what I'll do. So he goes to his, all of his master's uh, debtors who are doing business with him. And he says, how many uh, barrels of, uh, how many, how many ephras of wheat, how many? And they said, well, I, I have a hundred. I owe, I owe him a hundred. He said, well, quickly write, sit down and write 50. And then to another, I owe 100. Okay, now why don't you write 80? And so the master, when he heard what he had done, he said, that was shrewd. And then Jesus said that the children of darkness are more shrewd than the children of light because he understood the power of forgiveness. You could release a debt. You could come into someone's new graces. So the simple principle of that is that when you're losing everything, start forgiving everyone. When you're losing, start forgiving. Because unless you forgive, what you lose is a debt that carries you further into the, into the power of it. And you don't have the advantage of taking, you know, canceling debt. Just canceling the debt around you. The other thing Jesus did was a, there was a rich young ruler who came and said, I want to follow you. What do I do, though? What do I do? What do I do to get into the eternal life relationship I want? He said, well, you, you know, the commandments. He said, I've done all those. He said, the one commandment he hadn't addressed was covetousness. So he said, tell everything you need to, you own, and uh, give it to the poor, and then come follow me, and you'll have riches in heaven. And he couldn't relinquish that because that had a, had a grip on him. So when we find ourselves losing what we've held dear to us, whether by choice or by force, it's time to follow Jesus. Time to kind of like go, I got to find you, Lord, right here where you are. I'm not going to try to recover where I, what's happened to me until I find you to follow you. And that's what Peter picked up on. Peter said, hey, we have left everything and followed you. And what's, what's in it for us? And he says, well, it's going to be a hundred times better than what you left in this life. Doesn't mean you have to own a hundred homes if you lost a home. It just means you have access to a hundred homes through multiple ways. It's the, it's the divine provision from heaven because you, you experience this, this loss. Paul put it this way. He, in Philippians chapter three, he said, what things were gained to me, I've counted loss through Christ. So the experience of Christ will cost us things to which just simply because we shift our trust, 
we, we move from, I'm trusting in this, this is my goal of life, this is what I must have, if I have enough money, if I have enough influence, if I have enough identity, and all of a sudden we're meeting Jesus and we're reading his word and the Spirit's making his word come alive and he's saying, I am your trust, I am your identity, I am the future. And we're going, I'm going I love this. And then we, we, maybe we neglect this and it starts to go apart. Maybe, maybe God starts challenging the way we handle the world and no longer can we use the world the way we did before. So now we're kind of, we're not really good over here and we're trying to follow here. And so this is Paul, because when he speaks of what things were gained to me, they were all religiously beneficial. They would be church-worthy. They would be the one you want your daughter to marry. They would be righteousness, and they would be keeping the law, and they were all of that. He says, but these things I had lost through Christ, through my experience with Christ, I lost them all. And, and it says by in the, in the Philippians chapter 3, but it's really the word through, the act of, through knowing. And yet indeed I count all things lost through the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. So the more, the more I come into the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, the more I may, I, I'll be letting go of the world. It's not, it's not that, it's, you know how it says, you, you know, be, we're, not, we're in the world but not of it. We will not use the world and you know, function from the worldly mindset. So he then goes on, he says, in, I have suffered the loss of all things through Christ. So the suffering of loss means that there's even these points where something like Job happens, it's violent. That's what the word suffer, loss of all things, a violent taking away. The very thing that I longed for and worked hardest to keep, I now just lost, maybe physically, maybe emotionally, maybe relationally, and now what do I do? Well, Paul says, I count all of this as rubbish. I count it as dung. I count it as not valuable. And that's not an easy thing to do. I, you know, the Bible, that, thank God for the Bible, because the Bible tells us how we are to believe, how we are to think, and how ultimately we will feel. But it doesn't immediately show up. Does that make sense? I remember when I started going through a series of losses, and I, I realized there's a scripture right there, count it done. And so then I even had the, the audacity to say, you just got to be done with it. <laughs> you know, move on, done with it, so let it go. But it, it took me years. I couldn't, I wouldn't. My soul was detached. My, my, my heart was broken. My, my questioning of how could this have been, it was like a joke, you know, 27 chapters. I don't know how, I think we, some of us, I'm sure, have gotten to 55 chapters. And we can argue just with ourselves, Or others can help point out, and then we can try to justify what they're saying isn't true, and we just get caught up. But Paul just had to say, it's rubbish. That I may gain Christ. See, the gaining of Christ happens by the recognition of his value and letting go of what it's costing me to get there. Does that make sense? And, and that's, this is where we are right now in these moments. Now, we can be in these moments for a very long time, and we can be in these, I think, a Kairos moment like we are as men today to break into all of a sudden going, wow, I... I I, I see something I couldn't see before. Now I see it. I don't want it. I let it go. I repent. That's all repentance is. I think differently. 
I consider a thought I've never thought, or I remember a thought that I forgot. That's all. There is the emotion that can follow it of sad sorrow and and come. You know, I'm gosh, I can't believe I was doing that. But it's but without the the considering of a new thought. And Second Timothy chapter two tells us that repentance is a gift if God will grant us repentance. And it looks like this. Come to the knowledge of the truth. So we see something that's truth. Jesus Christ is truth. Without Jesus Christ, everything else is still just something leading us to him. But he is the way, the truth, and the life. And the truth is life is from God. It is not from within. Life is, he is the life, way, truth. So all of a sudden, I come to the knowledge of the truth. There's my new thought. Wow, I didn't know that. And I, I have those moments every day when I read the Bible, um, you know, because I'm submitting to the word without trying to understand it. I just want to resubmit to it, receive it, and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit will go, here's one for you, and bam, thank you. My new way of thinking, a better way of feeling, a better way of working. So the come to the knowledge of the truth then brings the next phase to the I my own senses. It's... Um, let me just read this because it's, it's life-changing. Just when you kind of go, oh, that's what's happened. This is in 2 Timothy 2, uh, 25. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may come, they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses. It's like the, the prodigal when he's feeding the pigs. And I took them to go to that level of depravity to have them thought that realized you know the truth is the the servants of my dad are treated far better than i am being treated and since i've come to that truth i come to my senses i know what i'm going to do i'm going to leave where i am and return to my father's house and accept it's my 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 sin i sinned against heaven and earth and before your sight and so it says, we come to our senses, then we get to escape the snare of the devil. See, the devil will ensnare us in emotions and attitudes and bad feelings and uh, strong opinions. He just, just, he's a master in that. He is, you know, he, he will accuse us or he will seduce us or he will deceive us or he will just speak over us things that are just absolutely no truth, but yet we have to find ourselves arguing ourselves out of that thought. He just loves to wrap us up in thoughts. And so all of a sudden, the knowledge of the truth come to my senses. Wow, what am I doing here? And I'm out. And that's, then I get to get out of the captivity. So Paul knew that all of the things that were valuable and could have served him well and had served him as a Pharisee were of no value in knowing the living Jesus. And the value of being in Christ and righteousness through Christ and strength through Christ and healing through Christ and mercy through Christ, that the loss of these things were rubbish compared to gaining Christ. And then it says, again, I'm back in Philippians 3, gaining Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness. And this is what happened to Job. Job got to the place that he goes, you know what? I, 
this equation is God and God, not God and me. I am to receive what God has done and is and given, but I'm not, I'm not the key player in this. It's, it's, le- it's, it's more of him, less of me, until it's all of him and none of me. And so Paul says that I might be found in Christ, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. So in loss, the purpose that God is after, the devil has a purpose. The devil wants us to despair. He wants us to curse God. He wants us to give up. He wants to say, what's the use of being holy? Why should I live a righteous life? I can't understand God. How can I trust? He just wants us into doubt. He just wants doubt, 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 because the more doubt comes into our flooding our mind, the more we become taken captive and we don't have the freedom to respond to truth, which is why every day we go back to the Bible and just say, oh, Lord, I'm, here I am, just submitting to your words, reading them out loud. I'm using my heart to believe, my mouth to speak. I'm reading your scriptures back to you as worship and prayer. And I'm trusting Holy Spirit to come alive and make alive what you're saying, what we're praying, and come into sanctification, to be continually taken out of the way of captivity into, into the sanctification. So then Paul says, we're still in Philippians chapter 3, he says, I be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is through the law. And you all know what it, when you have righteousness through the law, how bad it works. Have you ever had an argument with your wife and tried to prove that you were right through the fact that you were doing right? Because I was doing right, I am right? It doesn't work with marriage. It does not work with God. You know, we read yesterday when, um, or day before, when Elihu says to Job, he says, you say it's not even, it's not, what's the value of living holy? What's the purpose of this? And he said, wait a second. Let's rephrase that. Look up way up there in the sky. You see those clouds now? Go way beyond those clouds up into where God sits in heaven. Now, let me ask you this. If you sin, what, how do you affect him up there? And yet, no, I don't. doesn't affect him at all. Okay, well, if you do righteous, what do you add to him? Well, I'm, I'm not adding anything to him. And he was breaking him from the self-righteous identification. It's about what I'm doing, and I've been doing a really good job, and I'm not getting a really good salary for the good job. And this equation. So Paul's saying, I don't want to be found having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Christ alone. The righteousness which is from God by faith. And then the door opens. And this door is the door of all doors. We'll get, we will get to the, the returning of the losses in, in the natural and the help in the current moment we're in. But never miss the purpose for all loss is to find Christ, to gain him. And then you have being found in him. And then there's this door that says, you can know me here. You can know me and the power of my resurrection but you'll have to fellowship with my sufferings. But that's okay because you'll be conformed to my death so that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death that if by any means I might attain 
to the resurrection from the dead. No matter how awful we are, whatever we're in right now, this is the goal of God, is to our attaining to the resurrection of the dead. And it's not, not just that when I die, I, I know I'll be raised from the dead. It's coming into the resurrection life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. So it's attaining into, coming into identification with, submission to, and that's the goal. That's the highest goal. And I, I found over time, if I'm racing to recover the loss that I'm experiencing, I'm in an argument with God. But if I'll accept where I am and find Christ in the moment that I'm in, I begin to gain access to things I never could consider before. And the word begins to uh, be, have authority uh, so that I'm not accepting the interpretation of life circumstances as to who I am, but God's word as to who I am, and accepting that all loss is for gain in Christ, to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, but that which through the law, but the faith in Christ, and the access to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, to be conformed to his death, to attain to resurrection life. So this is a, um, a powerful principle that Paul practiced. And because he practiced it, he preached it. And because he preached it, we now have the ability to go, okay, I'm in a moment. I don't know how I'm going to get to the other side. I don't know what the purpose of why the loss and this occurrence and why I'm in this struggle. I was making lots of money. Now I'm not making any money. I was having a lot of favor. Now I have no favor with man. I had... I had our relationship and marriage was just sweet. Now we were in conflict. God's after something. He's always after something. And usually when the door opens like that, it's not God doing evil. He's not making me sick to get my attention. But I can live a crazy life and get sick. And then he can get my attention. Does that make sense? He wastes nothing. And someone once said, don't waste your sorrows. And don't waste your sufferings. Always return them to God because that's the door for the glory experience. And the glory doesn't, he doesn't glorify me in suffering by going, Steve, you really, you really did well. You did really well. Now, here's some more glory. No, it's not that at all. I just die. Miserable death. And again, realize that's me. That's who I am. That's what I'll always be unless the, the influence of Christ is upon me and the kindness of God. We went uh, up to Agora, uh, Westlake, to have dinner with Cammie's dad, and her sister and husband had come out from Kansas City, and so we, and then her brother, and so there were six of us, three, three siblings and the spouses and her dad, and uh, it was a nice, it was, yeah, it was a great dinner. She, they're Kansas City. They're from Kansas City, so they're all wearing red. I couldn't understand why are you wearing red, but I found out that in Kansas City they are very, uh, uh, totally. Everybody has a you know chief something on their car wherever they're driving all that. So we're driving home and we're just on our way to Ventura and we're excited just to get home and come around just around San Juan on the freeway. And all of a sudden, the traffic just stops. And it's like, and I'm, whoa. Barry, you know, and I, 
realize, oh, it's that off-ramp to Seward, which, not Seward, but to California Street, which is our off-ramp. We live right next to the fairground, and so it didn't take long to realize there's some big event going on at the fair tonight. And then, you know, Cammie gets online, and, you know, you just type Ventura County Fair, and, and then you can go to their events, and then you'll pop up the calendar, and yeah, there's some big concert event. And then you're looking, and you're going, this is not being, there's no police. With the size of a, the way this backed up the freeway, the way this is taking forever, you should have it with the kind of police you would have that they could move the traffic control. There's no traffic control, so it's going twice as long as it sh needs to be. One lane instead, it could have been two. And then you're thinking, well, probably this over, this event really oversold, or they planned for this amount of people, and they went that many people, and nobody told. And so um, we're going through this 20 minutes to get off the freeway to get to our carport. And just got out of the car and I said, well, that was a great ch chance to practice patience. And I s totally failed. <laughs> I totally just, you know, this should have been done, this could have been done, we need to do this, we ought to do that. And then, then you, once I realized that, well, that's, that was the goal for me, was to find out I failed again and return to the Lord and let go and forgive and release. And that's so much of what life is, is for because what God really wants to give us is greater than what we want to have, both of his son and of, of the circumstances of life. Let me uh, share this. I believe that God is the God of the double. That's the minimum that he can bring when it comes to bring us out of the situation we've been in. Once Job understood that it was God was greater than him and, gave, and surrendered to sovereignty and majesty and called him good and didn't, didn't accuse him of not listening and began to realize, God may, I want God to listen to me, but he wants me not to listen to him, and now he wants me to answer him, and now I'm God, the only answer I have is I, I have a whole other perspective of who you are, and I repent, I repent, I repent. Things changed. Everything changed. Nothing happened other than he accepted truth, and then everything changed for him. God, Job, God finished speaking to Job in chapter 42, and then he goes to Eliphaz and the two friends and said, you know what, you haven't spoken right about me. And you've got to go to my friend, my servant Job, whom I've accepted. And now he will pray for you, lest I treat you according to your folly. And so Job not only had become free from this conflict that was pressing against him, not because the circumstances what had changed, but inside had changed. Now the circumstances went away. A lot of circumstances can be just things to press us toward the Lord in order to meet him. So um, he then prays for his friends, and as soon as he prays for his friends, which is that picture of forgiveness, I mean, you're now taking your accusers who have been telling you you're a wicked man doing evil things, and God is a just, righteous God is punishing you, and you need to confess that secret sin that you're carrying. That, he goes and prays for them, and they're forgiven and set off into their life again. But he, wow, all of a sudden God turns his captivity. And that's the picture. It says he restored his um, 
fortunes, but it really means turn to captivity. He says, okay, purpose over, let's go into the new thing, and I'm going to give it a double. And so the double comes, it favors restore, all his friends, family come, they give him silver and gold, and God begins to multiply all of his assets so that he's his possessions are twice of what he held. He gets seven more sons. He had seven sons. He gets three daughters. And after all of that's grown up and matured, he goes another 150 years and sees a generation to the fourth, fourth generation and is blessed more. So God is never one who's saying, you know, this is going to cost you something and you may never gain back what I, you lose in the process of learning. But once, I, once the learning's done, we can then add to where you were and the gifting and calling I've given you, and you can get right into the future. But I think that the forgiveness is a key thing. You've got to let go. You've got to release the past. Why did that happen? How did this happen? Who, how could this have happened? How come I'm here? And if it comes down to you and God, one day it'll be because we have an entitlement, an arrogance, a pride, an accusation, uh, something that's just become a part of us that we feel like we deserve better. And we have righteousness that's somewhere we have accumulated through our adherence to the law. We've been a better person. There's wicked. It, it, but once he gets that out of you, why would he want it out of me? Because there's only one good. And that's God. There's only one who's righteous. And that's our, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one who's the Savior. So to dismantle the systems of I've got to do it. It's up to me. I've got to work hard. I'm working hard. I've got to get a better result. And the pressure being on me. And instead of it being the, out of the promise God's made. His words he's spoken. The son who he crucified so that I wouldn't have to be. This place I'm now in Christ, this inheritance in Christ, this I want to come into this truth. And like Abraham, some of us haven't yet reached the purpose for which we were born. Some of us haven't even come to the end of the journey. And it's just at that time when we're failing and he's prevailing, we're, we're, we're trying to you know, close up some, you know, old promises. And God's saying, now I'm, I'm, I'm ready to now fulfill promise. And so you, you, we become more aware of our inability and more dependent upon God's ability. And it's not just his ability, but his willingness and faithfulness to perform what he promised. So we start to go, well, this is going to happen for sure because of God. There's one... Uh, I want to read this. Can we go to Job chapter, uh, Jonah chapter 2? And can you switch it to Old King James? Just KJV? Okay. So I felt this came from the Lord today for us particularly. Kind of another way to gain our attention. Gee, the Pharisees would come to Jesus and they said, what sign will you give us that we can believe? And he said, well, I won't give you any sign except the sign of Jonah. So evidently, this sign of Jonah being in the belly of the fish for three days had something to do with his, Jesus' life purpose as the Messiah, not the Messiah reigning king, the high, great high priest that we know, but the one who came to be the suffering servant rejected by man, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, became a sacrifice.
And how did the switch take place in the midst of all of that? And so uh, we're looking for Jonah chapter 2. And yeah, when you pull it up, uh, I can also read it out of the old King James too. Until I get it. I, there's some places the old King James just still so good. Did you get it? Okay. You don't have the new King James? You mean the one that Paul wrote? The original? <laughs> well, let me pull it up because there's just a couple words that, are, that fit better. And then I will read. We'll read to the new King James. That's who, that was the old joke when, you know, all people, new versions were coming out. And people would be just like, I'm, I'm sick into the old King James, the King James. And it says, and it says, if it was good enough for Paul, it was good enough for me. Not realizing he wrote in Hebrew, not in. <laughs> but, uh, okay, Jonah. So Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, in the fish's belly. And said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, the reason of my affliction unto the Lord. And he heard me. He answered me, out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You know the story. John is told, I have an assignment for you. He goes the opposite direction. God puts him in the belly of a fish because he wants to get Job's attention and call him back to his assignment. And so he cries out, belly of Sheol, Jesus had to commit himself to the Father and say, I'm going to trust it and believe that when I die, you'll call me out of death. I'm not going to defend myself or protect myself. I'm going to submit to you in death. And I have faith that you can call me out of death. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me, and your billows and your waves passed over me. So this was intense, and some of us have gone through these kinds of intense emotional moments. You know, we, we're feeling the loss of this. We don't know how to make sense of that. We don't know what to do about this. Where am I going with that? And, and not realizing that the circumstances are intentionally trying to pull us away from yield, tr trust and patience and yielding and prayer and praise and agreement. But again, it's all out of our control now. Everything's beyond our control. Um, then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The, the, the key for what I believe God wants to do through this company of men is by our turning again to look toward him in his holy temple, in his place of rule, in his reign. Now Jesus is the great king, priest on a throne. He's Messiah. He is Savior. He is Lord. He is Deliverer. He is everything. And so whatever I'm in, he is the answer to. And I, I was cast as but I'm going to look toward, I'm going to look again toward your temple. And then he says, the waters compassed me or surrounded me even to my soul. The depth closed round about me and the weeds 
wrapped around my head. So the, the thing that's being squeezed is my soul to the point of, I don't know what, I'm going to lose it. I went down to the moorings of the mountain, and the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought me up my life from the pit, O oh Lord, my God. So you feel this being swallowed up, and yet there's this awareness, no, God will never release his grip of life on me, and he's never let go of the place of my being in him. And now those are those are those death throes that sometimes they can go on for years and sometimes they go on for weeks. But there's this kind of like I'm in and out. I'm all of a sudden, and that's why we pray, is to reconnect to the truth in the spirit and in the word, and letting the word and the spirit reframe who we are, and we get a, a moment, and it's again oh, just enough to make it through the day. It's like coming out from under the waves and just getting a grasp of air. So then he says in verse 7, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. See, the, 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 the liberation that was happening for Job, that was happening for Paul, that now is happening in Jonah, and that Jesus is the sign of, so it's going to be happening in all of us, is that we have to surrender sovereignty back to God and God's ability to be greater than ours. And it's that remembering, and again, the Lord, his word, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. So uh, we, we just kind of return to the Lord. We, we, re, we return to him in prayer. We return to a vision of his ability. We begin to worship him. We, we submit to him. We have honest conversation. We apply the word as the means to get to him, but we submit to the word about who he is. We don't accuse him, but we can be honest how we feel, and we're just there. And then this is the verse that I heard, and I will. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But the old King James, I like the way it put it out. Um, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. The word observe is shama. It's where we get the, one, the hedging about. There are things that we can hedge about in our thoughts and opinions and mind that are so, so, um, they're not, we don't know they're lying vanity. They're empty, they're deceptive, worthless idols. But, 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 and we don't realize because we regard this, because we're holding that position, that opinion, that feeling, that, that prejudice, that hatred, that wherever that is, we're actually forsaking our own mercy. We're, we're denying our mercy to come to us. So what happens to Job is that once God got his attention, Job, you know what? Leviathan is swimming in your heart. And you have an opinion of yourself that I don't hold. I hold an opinion of who I am. You need to hold my opinion of who I am. It's not about you. It's about me. And me, and it's about me, and it's about me. Uh, surrender, bow the knee. And then once you see God for God, all of a sudden, 
boom, the mercy flows, the freedom flows, the healing flows, the help flows, because no longer are we in, in a competition with God or that we think it's up to us. So once that happened to Job, boom, everything changes. And so look what verse 9 says, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So I know that the turning of captivity and the returning into the purpose for which God ordained and, the, and life's work and financial well-being and health in our bodies and, and salvation in those we love and all the things that God promises us and initiates us. But at times they go, they just, they, we don't know. Um, you know, it says he's, when he's trying to deal with an issue or allowing, we're, our issue has come to a point where it's got to be dealt with and we didn't know what it was until we see it and we don't see it until the, the, the ramifications of it starts to show up. That's why God's so willing to let you and I act up. You know, not me. I, I, I just like to control everything. But God says, no, 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 just let everybody kind of do what they have to do because I need to get a hold of them where they are so that I can show them who they are so they'll accept who I am and show them where I am. And we'll change location and we'll change trust. So he says, I will sacrifice with the voice of thanksgiving. If you can say, thank you, Lord, for where I am, what I'm going through, what you're doing in me while I'm going through it. The purpose I know you have is good, and I know the outcome will be wonderful. I know that your, your, your end is merciful and compassion, so I'm not fighting. I'm now submitted, and I'm praising you, and I'm thanking you. It's, it's that faith thing. And it's not the faith that got you in the problem. It's the faith that gets you out of the problem. Do you understand? Faith gives you a promise, and the promise brings you a problem, and the problem swallows you up. But if there, there comes a day when you've worked out all that issues, you go, wait a minute, I'm in a problem. But there's a purpose for me to know God here. And I want to know you here and submit to you here and I surrender to you here and I worship you here. And all of a sudden it dawns on us, wow, that's a lying vanity I'm, a, I'm looking at. That's a, a worthless idol that I'm, a, I'm serving. I don't need that opinion. I don't need that thought. Here's a, the truth. I want to, then all of a sudden you go, Whoa, I would never have seen that. Now I see it. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And once that Thanksgiving kicks in, it's not the Thanksgiving of, you know, superficial or because I got so... You know, there's Thanksgiving when you get out of sin. But there's Thanksgiving when you get free from self. That's even bigger. It takes a lot longer to get out of self than it does out of sin. Because self is like once to just kind of continue the idea that we are indeed our own independent power supplies. We're our own little Teslas driving around. Instead of this one who's dependent on every breath I breathe and grace that's given. And all of a sudden you see it and you go, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And then it says, so the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. Again, what was the purpose? Jonah needed to come to a point of submission to God's word and recognition that he wasn't more aware of what was happening than God was or knew. Uh, Assyria, the capital, Nineveh, where he had been sent to go and tell him to repent, had already been prophesied 
that it would come and destroy Israel. So it'd be like me being given a message to go to someone that I consider an enemy of the Christian faith to bring them a message of repentance so that they would be, their, their, their destruction wouldn't happen rather than just let their destruction happen. So it's a real, there's, there's issues that, that we, don't, we don't understand. We never can find out. Did you read Hezekiah a couple of days ago? Was it 39? Hezekiah when he, uh, in Isaiah, Isaiah 39, when Hezekiah gets sick, he turns around, he weeps. Lord, I've, I've wanted to follow you all my life. I've done what you've asked me to do. He cries. Isaiah just prophesied, you're going to die. Get your house in order. Make sure you get your trusty trust in place. And he cries and he weeps and he prays. And then the Lord says, go tell Isaiah, I, saw your I heard your prayers and I saw your tears. I'm going to give you 15 more years of life. And then Isaiah, then Hezekiah prophesied, you know, that's when the, the, the sun goes back seven steps. And you can read it in Isaiah. He then tells the story of 38, of how he had cried out to God for help. In chapter 39, the envoy of Babylon, the king of Babylon, has heard he was sick. It's just a small little empire. It's not really big or strong. It hasn't overrun the Assyrians yet. And they send an envoy with, you know, we love you, we're sad, you. glad to hear you're better. And Hezekiah is just in another realm of himself that he isn't aware that he's about to, de he's about to deliver the kingdom to the Babylonians because he's become re-okay about himself. I'm, I'm healthy, I've got 15 more years, and hey, welcome everybody. Oh, let me show you the wealth of my treasuries. I wanna show you all of the treasures of the temple. And um, he gets done with that. And Isaiah comes and says, who are these men that came to see you? He said, oh, they're from Babylon. He said, well, what did, what, did you, what did they see? He said, they saw everything. I showed them all the glory. And then uh, Isaiah said, These, this nation, because of what you've done, they're going to come and they're going to take everything away. They're going to take all of those treasures. They're going to take all of you captive. They're going to take your kids and make them eunuchs. Just one event pride, un, unreserved confidence. And it's so funny because Hezekiah's prayer is not the prayer he's prayed all the way through. And I was praying this this morning. And I said, Lord, please, I don't want to ever, please, please, I know how this could happen. Hezekiah's prayer was, it's, it's the will of God because it won't happen to me. So he said, since it's not going to happen to me, I'm, you know, there comes a time where we can stop praying. Can, you know, stop saying, well, no, Lord, it doesn't have to go this way. Please let it go a different way. Please, Lord, have mercy. So Hezekiah gets 15 more years, but it might have been better he just died and not set, up, set in motion a series of events that was going to, you know, accelerate Judah's destruction. So it's an interesting, why does God work so diligently against with us because he knows what's in us we could be one of the best kings 
purify the temple, get worship going. We could do all kinds of things, but inside that little, little, little Leviathan's ready to rise up once we feel like we got it together. And then do something without seeking the Lord or submitting because we need him. Or we're, we're, it's called presumption. It's, it's, and it's the, the work that we are a, a company of men that I believe God doesn't want us to. I think he'd take, he would take 40 years to humble a man before he'd send him back into Egypt to save a nation because he knew that man had to have Egypt out of him before he went back into Egypt. He'd take another man and send him into Egypt and put him as a slave until he, and then a prisoner. And then after 13 years, he'd bring him out of the prison to begin to be a father to Pharaoh because he had to bring him down before he could bring him up. So if we're on our way down, let's find Jesus on the path. And if we're at the bottom, let's just start to acknowledge his sovereignty and his greatness and his goodness and his ability and, and, and not regard the lying vanity. You know, it's what, seek a new experience, not an explanation. God does not owe us explanations. And if you ask, demand an explanation, he can literally say, fine, I'll let you know when I think of one. <laughs> and years go by. He just, there's some things he won't tell us. He doesn't, it wouldn't do us any good to know. Why did my, this happen? Why did that happen? How could we, because it's back to the knowledge of treating good and evil. But when we kind of go, Lord, I don't, I don't want to be in conflict with you anymore. I just want to be in trust and rest. And I want to acknowledge your ability is greater than mine and always was. And you don't need my ability. All I, I believe you're able to perform what you promise. I know you will complete what you said in motion. I know what you're saying is truth. I want to, I'm in your son. The only reason I will have success is because of Christ. Christ is the only one that is now has the life that's, that's in himself. All of us were participants. It just starts to break things free. And I believe when that happens, man, we, we are uh, we're like the disciples in the beginning of the church. We're, we're just letting go of everything and giving away everything and releasing everyone and praise, you know, saying, let's go. This is the Holy Spirit. This is the message of Jesus Christ. This is the great work that God has done, and we're, we're, we're in it, and we're not trying to protect things that we feel would be important to protect, and, and we're protecting because we were afraid to lose them, and so the fear of death keeps rolling. Any questions before I pray? Because we've got seven minutes. I... So I will, I will, loss is returned when the loss is no longer needed for us to learn. That God is sovereign, God is good, God is Lord, Jesus is the answer. His, that, and the problem that he's after is the one in my heart, not in my hands. My hands may be doing bad, but it's a heart issue he's after. What's my heart issue? Where's the entitlement? Why am I so upset with the way he's treated me? You know, I agreed to work for a denarii, but how come these other people only work one hour and they get the same pay? Why, is, why am I 
as Jesus said, why do I have an evil eye? Why is envy taken over me? Why is greed? Where did that come from? I didn't think I had it. I thought I was a pretty good person. And then that's where the law that we had righteousness by is exposed. And we go, oh, I repent. I didn't see it. I couldn't see it. Now I see it. Now I, I, I honor you and I praise you. And I will not regard these worthless idols. I turn attention. You can do all of this. You can return it seven, two, two, twine, two times, seven times, 30 times, 60 times, 100 times. Let's forgive. I release everybody. All my enemies are, my friends were my enemies, but now you're my, you're my means to my reigning. And I want to release you and bless you. And I want to send you off. And it just becomes like contagious resurrection life. And I have moments in it. And then I, I slip right back down into the center of me. And yet, each time I want out, I have to return to the truth is that Jesus is Lord. And he, and he is the only answer for every question and the means to every part of life that I'm longing for. So I come and I submit. Which is the true picture for humility. And I'll pray is my utter dependence on his supremacy. I am utterly dependent on Jesus Christ's supremacy, all sufficiency, his first. And until he changes, I'll be in the same place. And, he'll, and he's no hurry to change anything if he's working on something to rearrange me. But if I, when I recognize that, then I can submit. Lord, I thank you for our men. I thank you for this moment. I don't know exactly what this will look like for each of us, but I know that you're doing something that you are very demanding on, that there will be no flesh that will glory in your presence. There will be no pointing to our righteousness as to means of this miracle. There will be uh, no one but you standing your name glorified and Lord we are covered in righteousness that to you is filthy rags and I don't want to be so presumptuous anymore and I keep returning to you Lord only you Jesus you're the only one that can save the only one to heal the only one to deliver and whatever attitude of my heart is being exposed by your goodness then it's my door to repentance and your goodness leads me to repentance Lord release us as men thank you for the time you take in transformation that it isn't instantaneous but it is eternal and the work goes on goes on and goes on thank you that we can find you and be at peace with you and when we're at peace with God many times that's the first step of change and then and the next season begins but I pray for all of us wherever we are you know each of us our journey was given to us in Christ before time began we did not start when we got saved you started in Christ before we were even born and now we are in this life and we've accepted Jesus Christ and we are being transformed into his likeness from glory to glory 
and we thank you for those moments of what we perceive and then we thank you for those moments of having to release that which is no longer needed and we thank you for those awkward moments that we don't really understand where am I and how did I get here and why am I here and what's the purpose in all this thank you that we can be very honest with our emotions I can tell you how I feel and what's happening to me on the inside, how my soul is approaching to death. And I thank you that I don't as much have to accuse you as I used to. That I don't in turn declare that you're not being just and that I am just. Thank you that you actually are the only one that's good. And you're the only one that's provided salvation in the Son, and the Son is the only one that is righteous. And all of ours is in sight of Christ and acceptance of his provision and your thank you. Lord, I ask that by the Spirit of God you would come to each of us like you did to Job, like you did to Jonah, like you did to Paul, like you did to Peter, like you did to David, everyone in their crises. You brought him to a face-to-face -face with Christ. And when you did, and, the, and there was whatever recognition, knowledge of truth that brought them to their senses, they walked out of the captivity they were in conflict with. Lord, would you free us? Would you free us? Would you free us from conflicts with our wives, conflicts with our children, conflicts with our our government, conflicts anywhere that they are just in their external, but they're destructive in the way in which we have now considered them to a level that you call it a worthless idol, and we, we think of it as it must be changed for everything else to change. Lord, thank you for your uh, glorious deliverances and inglorious deliverances even if we have to be vomited up by a fish on the beach. We'd rather be vomited up out of the bowels of shell than to make my bed there and think it's just not here you meet me there. Grace, grace, grace to your church. Grace and humility to our body. Grace, you said you were giving grace to us. We humble ourselves under your mighty hand. We won't fight you where we are. We humble ourselves in your sight. We won't try to elevate ourselves in righteousness. We bless you. You alone are, have, have our day. You hold our breath. You have ordained our inheritance. You've given us a future. It's a good future. Praise you. We praise you. We thank you for the learning journey. What else can we learn but to learn Jesus? And how else will we learn Jesus but to walk with you th through this life? praise you. Lord, where, where the pressure is becoming so intense that men and women are giving up, we're asking you, Lord, let us remember you and turn our prayer back to you and turn away from the worthless idol and then begin to thank you. We praise you. May we who are under pressure be the greatest thanksgivers that the earth knows. May we who are under pressure be the greatest praisers that the world knows. May we who are suffering be the greatest prayers that the world knows because you are the source of all life. You are the victory. 
And it's not just for us that you're asking this, but it's for others that you'll bring life through us too. So we praise you for this moment. We praise you for this weekend. We praise you for the double portion. We praise you for the process. We praise you for the problems. We thank you for the promises that are yes and amen in Christ to the glory of God through us. In Jesus' name, amen.